Well, good morning, friends. Good to see you today. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, may you celebrate this unique um, gift. Many of you have been called to, if it's a, if it's a role or a um, uh, responsibility that has also included pain, which it often does. May, may God be near to you on this day in the midst of all of that as well. I want to encourage you to look up in your phones, Exodus, the book of Exodus, or raise your hand. We'll hand a Bible to you. There's also sermon notes. If you keep your hand up, we'll hand one to you. Um, the sermon notes might help you follow along today. I wanted to draw attention to the top of the sermon notes I won't cover this in detail, but the very first section, how to experience freedom, those are the main ideas that we've talked about in the last several weeks. If, if this is your first time here or your first time in a while, um, that will give you kind of a little bit of a background as to where we are, where we have been. You can always watch um, the sermons online. EmmausCommunity.org is the church website, and the, you can watch sermons there. They're also available as podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So if, if um, there's a lot of folks who are kind of coming into our community after a strange year, and if, if you ever want to kind of catch up with what we're talking about, um, I wanted to draw your attention to those, to those sources of where we can find the sermon. All right. Have you ever just, I mean, just barely missed? Like just almost got it, but not quite. Like have you ever... Um, finished fourth in a race and just minute, just missed the podium like you no one ever will remember you because you you weren't one or have you ever been um have you ever been elected first alternate for a position right have you ever been in a job process where you went along and you kind of passed level after level interview after interview only to get to the last one and then the final round to be told that we've selected another candidate. Have you ever just almost made the cut, but not quite? Anybody there? Okay. Somebody said, yeah, I've heard stories this morning about, yeah, I was second place in this, or I almost finished first in this. Um, so there's, a, there's an ancient Christian writing. It's called, the, it's called the teaching. In English, it's called the teaching, or the teaching of the 12. In Greek, it's called the didache. And some, some people, so this is like an early Christian second End of first century, early second century Christian writing. Early Christians, some early Christians believed this to be part of Scripture. Most felt like it was a very helpful secondary source. What it was was an early Christian catechism. It was a, a, a piece of literature that you'd read in order to prepare to be baptized. Was <clears throat> they were in this process, this idea that we need to prepare people to come into this way of life, this Christian way of living. By the way, our summer baptism is June 13th. If you'd like to be baptized, if you haven't been baptized, then I encourage you to consider uh, being part of that on June 13th. So the didache was, was information, it was like this document that prepared people for baptism. Um, and then when, like early, early 4th century, when the Bible gets sort of solidified and the different books are canonized as officially part of the Bible... The, the didache was not included. And some, some believe that it was like the, the, it almost made the cut. Like if there were 66 books in the Bible, this was like 67. And it just didn't quite make the cut. Therefore, most of you have never heard of it. You've probably never read it. And that's too bad because it's a really good book. But I'll tell you the best part. It's the very first line. In my opinion, the very first line is the best part. Here's how the book starts. 
There are two ways, way of life, way of death. And there is a great difference between the two ways. Today, I want to talk to you about distinction, about distinction. And I want to talk about distinction from the perspective of Exodus. And I want to address the question that we've been asking for several weeks now, which is how do I experience freedom? This is an Easter series. Easter is the celebration of Christ's triumph over death and the grave. Christ frees all of humanity from sin and its effects, which many of us proclaim and believe and have a hard time living into. So we've been looking at Exodus to try as the prequel to Easter to try to help us learn how to live in freedom. Today, I want to talk about distinction. Within the realm of popular culture, if you're talking about ethics or morality today, distinction is not a word anyone is going to want to talk about. In other words, the core idea that's at the foundation of the didache, which is that there are two ways. There's a way of life. And there's a way of death, and there's a great difference between these two ways. This is not a common way of thinking today, right? A more accurate statement for our culture may be something like, there are many ways, and there's really no difference between any of them. Choose whatever you like, right? No difference. One of the most culturally challenging historic Christian convictions is this idea of distinction, that there is a unique way of life. And it's different from, it is distinct from the other way of life, which actually isn't a way of life, it's a way of death. And there's all kinds of examples where this conviction about distinction shows up in the Bible. Here's one straight from Jesus' mouth. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's so fascinating to me because Jesus is at once both totally welcoming, he welcomes all to the banquet, right? The vision of heaven is this big banquet, and Jesus welcomes all to the banquet. Everybody's invited. And at the same time, Jesus says, but the way in is through me. There's just one, I'm the door, I'm the gate. So Jesus is at once totally welcoming and also completely distinct at the same time. So we're talking about distinction, we typically resist this kind of distinction language because it feels judgmental. It feels sort of like this worn out, traditional, maybe it's good versus bad, it's right versus wrong, narrow-minded sort of religious legalism. This is how, how this kind of language can begin to feel. Makes most of us feel like we're suffocating, frankly. But I want to invite you to lift your eyes a little higher this morning, okay? Get above the popular perception of Christianity, Get above kind of this pollution of sort of modern religious, I don't know, riffraff that, that many of us live in, in order to see this, in order to see this, that distinction is really about freedom. That's what it's about. Distinction is really about freedom. I want to invite you to embrace this idea. Jesus invites us into a way of life that is different because he's inviting us to be free. Those are the two things I want to invite you to hold together. It is different because the motive is freedom. It's freedom. Jesus wants you to be free. All right, let's talk about plagues because it's a popular topic on Mother's Day. Let's talk about plagues. This idea of distinction, 
I hope all the mothers feel so welcome and we have plants for you as you leave today. I love mothers. I'm so grateful. My mom stayed. She, she stayed for a second gathering, so she's a supportive mother. Thanks, Mom. Love you. I just don't have a whole lot to preach about mothering, so I'm going to preach about plagues. All right. The idea of distinction, it's everywhere in the Bible, but it's on parade in Exodus. The story of Exodus is the story of God freeing an enslaved race, right? The, the Hebrew people are slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And as you can imagine, Egypt isn't super keen on just letting their slaves go. This is the engine of their um, economic superiority, and so they're not just going to let a million or whatever more slaves walk away. It usually takes something pretty cataclysmic to convince nations to free their slaves. For us, it took a civil war. For Egypt, it takes 10 plagues. 10 plagues. These are acts of God intended to change the king of Egypt's mind about imprisoning or enslaving the Hebrew people. So let's run through the plagues really quickly. First plague, water turns to blood. What's weird about that is that the Egyptian magicians can replicate the power of God. They also can turn water into blood. And that, like, tilts the whole thing. That's what we talked about last week. It would have blown my mind if I would have seen that, if what I thought was the proof that God was with me gets replicated by somebody else. And then they do it again. The second plague is frogs everywhere. Frogs in your bed. Frogs everywhere. And the Egyptian magicians can duplicate that plague, too. What really would have been powerful is if they would have stopped the frogs, which they can't do, but they can duplicate the frogs. They make the frogs come out too. And this is weird. Then there's the third plague, dust becomes gnats. There's gnats everywhere. And what's fascinating about that is the power of the Egyptian magicians runs out of gas at this point. They can't do the gnat thing. They can't duplicate the gnats. It's beyond their ability. They recognize it. They go to Pharaoh and they say, this is the finger of God. We can't do this. Our ability to duplicate this power that Moses is wielding has run out of gas. We can go to a certain point, but no further. And so last week we talked about counterfeit liberators. What is that? It is a power that promises what it can't deliver. And there's all sorts of counterfeit liberators, fake saviors, in our culture. We're always wrestling with this promises and can they actually deliver what they promise. So that's what we talked about last week. And the big idea was that to a certain degree, the powers of the world could duplicate, could look like the same that God can do, but that runs out of gas. And by the third plague, it's completely out of gas. Only God can do the gnat thing and they can't. Here's the fourth plague. The fourth plague introduces a new dynamic, a new feature, (laughs) a new um, reality gets involved in the story, emerges into the story at this point, and the reality is distinction. Distinction. The fourth plague is flies, swarms of flies. Exodus chapter 8, the end of verse 21, God says, the houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But check this out. Look at verse 22. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there. So that you will know that I am the Lord and I am in this land. Verse 23, here it is. I will make a distinction. The word literally here means I will make a division between my people and your people, God says to Pharaoh. And then I love this part. The sign will occur tomorrow. 
like, we've got it scheduled for tomorrow. It's going to hit. And it did. And by this point in the story, Pharaoh's losing his mind. He's losing his mind. He's asking Moses to pray for him one day. And then he's cursing Moses the next day, hardening his heart even harder. He's promising to release the, free, the slaves into freedom when there's frogs in his bed and he's miserable. But as soon as the plague um, sort of calms down, he goes right back to his militant, nope, never letting these people go. He won't relent. And so therefore the plagues keep coming. Fifth plague, all the livestock die. Cows are dead. Camels are dead. Sheep are dead. Horses are dead. Verse 4 of chapter 9. Look at Exodus 9, 4. But... The Lord will make, uh, Moses tells Pharaoh, but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Chapter 9, verse 6, and the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. So I imagine somebody reports this to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, you're kidding me. Because look at the next verse. Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals, the Israelites, had died. Yet his heart was unyielding. He would not let the people go. The sixth plague is festering boils. The seventh plague is hail. Chapter 9, verse 26. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. We're talking about distinction. There's a distinction. The eighth plague is locusts. All over the whole land, whatever the hail didn't destroy, the locusts did. The ninth plague is darkness. Look at chapter 10, verse 21. Chapter 10, verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. We're talking about distinction, right? This whole time, Pharaoh has been negotiating with Moses. All right, the men can leave, but you got to leave the women here. Or later he says, okay, all the people can leave, but you got to leave your livestock here. And the whole time, Moses has been insisting, no, it's everybody. you got to let all of us go and all of our livestock. And it starts to get intense. And after the ninth plague, the plague of darkness, Pharaoh responds, get out of my sight. Make sure you never appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die, he says to Moses. Chapter 11, verse 1. We just did three chapters of Exodus in like five minutes. Did you see that? Chapter 11, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Moses, he had said, so this happened earlier, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. That's an interesting comment there. The quick sidebar from the plague story to what is going on with the so these guys are going to be let go, God says, and as they leave, they're supposed to like knock on doors and ask their neighbors for silver and gold. What's going on here? This is just a little aside. They're getting paid. That's what's happening here. 
Okay, they're getting paid. How does a just God deal with 400 years of injustice? Right? These guys have been slaves without pay. They've been working hard without pay for 400 years. Egypt's wealth has been built on the back of slaves who were not paid. And so God says, not only will there be one more plague, and they're going to let you all go, but they're going to move, they're going to like pay your moving expenses. And they're actually going to pay your, your wages retroactively going back, oh, say, let's about 400 years, right? You're going you're to be paid for this work that you did. And this ethic of paying back what is stolen or restoring what has been lost or repairing what has been broken, this carries on through Scripture into the teachings of Jesus. So another sermon for another time, but I wanted, you to, I wanted to point that out as part of this whole thing because it can be strange to feel like, okay, so what are these people going to, if we're talking about freedom, how are these freed slaves actually supposed to live after 400, right? So, so it's being addressed. It's just kind of in the cracks of the story. Back to the plague story. Chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be wailing, loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or will ever be. But among the Israelites... Not a dog will bark at any person or animal. I mean, it's going to be just peaceful and quiet. Then you will know, here's the key idea, that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. In verse 8, Moses says, all these officials of yours, Pharaoh, they'll come to me. They're going to bow down before me. They're going to say, go and take all the people who follow you with you. And after that, I will leave. And Moses, hot with anger, it says, left Pharaoh. Okay, so what is this new dynamic that characterizes the last seven plagues? It's distinction. It's this idea of distinction. Not only is God convincing Pharaoh to let Israel go through all these plagues, but he's demonstrating to everyone everywhere throughout the rest of history all around the world that Israel is his son, and the people of Israel are his people. They are distinct in the eye of God. They are different. God is forever associating two things. And I hope you can have the grace. I hope God will give us the grace to make this connection. What is it? God is associating the idea of distinction with liberation. He's associating distinction, being different, with freedom. Okay. The big question is, how do we experience real freedom? Last week, we talked about saying no to something. Say no to false liberators, to counterfeit liberators. Got to say no to the false. Today, I'm encouraging us to say yes to something. What are we saying yes to? Distinction. Being different. We're saying yes to this idea that we, are, we have been made different Today we're identifying this as a way to freedom, giving this joyful yes to being different, to being set apart, to being distinct. Now, let me show you this word, distinction. It shows up just a few places in um, the Bible. The whole reason we're talking about Exodus is because it is a prequel to Easter 
Exodus is the main event of the Old Testament. Easter, or the resurrection of Jesus, is the main event of the New Testament. And so we're going to end with that. We're going to end with Easter in just a minute. But let me show you just one more thing that I think is so fascinating. The word translated distinction. It shows up just three more times in the whole Bible. All three are in the Psalms. The word is pala. It's an ancient Hebrew word. It's like an old root word. I was thinking about this word distinction all week. Like, so what? So I'm, I'm set up. What does this mean? What is this distinction? If I'm going to embrace distinction, what am I actually embracing? This clarified it for me. I hope it's helpful for you. The word pala can be translated literally and figuratively. Literally as, a, as like a, we're taking part of something and we're separating it. Today's my mom's birthday. We had a birthday party for her the other night. We took part of the cake. We separated it. There was a piece for her, right? It was a literal distinction. This is mom's piece of angel food cake. And, but then you can also translate this word figuratively. And when you translate it figuratively, it carries this idea of wonder and marvel. There's something special about it. We put a candle on my mom's piece of cake, right? She held the cake with a candle on it. Because it's not just, this is your piece. It was more than that. This was something set apart for this special purpose. And this is what this word means. Watch how it's used in three psalms. Psalm chapter, or the fourth psalm, Psalm 4. David prays, know that the Lord has set apart his faithful servant for himself. In other words, David is praying and he's acknowledging, you have set me apart, you have made me distinct for you. Like that's why I've been set apart. It's for you, God. So distinction here is associated with belonging. It's not just distinct for the sake of being distinct. He's set apart for God. He belongs to this loving God, David says. The second time Palah appears is in Psalm 17. Again, King David is praying, and now in this instance, the word is translated figuratively. <clears throat> the first psalm, it was, know that the Lord has set apart. There's the word palah, set apart. In Psalm 17, show me the wonders of your great love. And the word wonders is that word palah. Show me the wonders of your great love, you who save by your right hand, who take, those who take refuge in you from their foes. Here the word pala is translated figuratively as wonders. Show me, David is saying this, show me not the literal distinction of being set apart from you. Show me the meaning or the significance of that distinction. What is it? It's wonderful. That distinction is a wonderful thing. All who go to you for refuge find it. I can go to, I can, dis, I can make my, I can like acknowledge that I've been made for you. And with that comes all these wonderful elements, right? This safety, this refuge, this, this sense of belonging that is more than just black and white, right? Just a numerical difference. It's like, no, there's a wonderful thing associated with this, this love and, and this acceptance. In other words, the distinction associated with belonging to a loving God is a distinction that is wonderful. It is a wonderful distinction. Friends, here's why this matters. We might feel like the distinction of being a Christian is a weird thing. It's a weird, it makes us so weird, Right? Or we may even think that it's a problematic thing. 
And we may feel like we have to be like we're constantly being challenged to compromise our ethics in order to do business in this sphere or in order to date in 2021 or in order to succeed in school or in sports, right? We're always rubbing up against this thing that's like, well, I'm a Christian, I've been baptized, but it just makes me feel so weird. What we're seeing here is that distinction is wonderful. It's wonderful, okay? That's what David is praising God for. He's recognizing that even though there may be social awkwardness associated with it or, or uh, challenges in terms of business success, that ultimately this is a wonderful distinction because when the God who is for you sets you apart in love, that distinction is a wonderful distinction. This is what people mean when they say, I'm chosen by God. That's a wonderful distinction, right? Chosen by a loving and good God. And then finally this, and I love this last example because it shows up in the psalm that's meant so much to me since I became a Christian, which is Psalm 139, which is all about being like the, the God's knowledge of us. And what, what he's, this is a typo. What he says in Psalm 139, David says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And that phrase wonderfully made comes from this root, pala. Right? So in other words, the idea of being created by God, being created by God is just soaked in the reality of distinction. Like you're not, one, you're not a clone, right? You're not some random billionth person in the world. No, you were wonderfully made. So this reality is just soaked in distinction. David is saying yes to the idea of distinction as belonging to God. He's saying yes to this kind of distinction as a wonderful thing. And he's also reaching all the way back and, and, and imagining his creation and realizing God's whole motive in creating me in the first place was a wonderful thing. I'm wonderfully made. He made me for a distinct purpose. He set me apart from the very beginning. This is why I was made, to be for God, to be God's son. In other words, the philosophy being revealed in the Bible is not, oh, there are many ways and there's really no difference and so nothing really matters. That's the common philosophy in our culture. There are many ways, take your pick, doesn't really matter. No, the biblical philosophy is reflected in the D-Doc A. There are two ways. There's a way of life and there's a way of death. There's a big difference between the two. Okay. And it makes all the difference what way you are following. David declares, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. All right. Finally, last idea. We're going to the resurrection. We're talking about Easter ultimately. Here's what I want to say. This idea of distinction is put on display at the resurrection. Because now, now we're not talking about the distinction between Hebrews and Egyptians. And we're not talking about the distinction between the gods of Egypt or Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. Now we're talking about the biggest idea possible. The distinction between life and death. And the resurrection demonstrates that life is the superior power. Death is not part of life. Death is not the end of life. Death is not a chapter in life. Death is very different than life. And death looks like it wins at Easter, or at least on Good Friday when Jesus dies, and everybody's like, yep, we got him. And it looks like that power takes you almost all the way, but then at the end, resurrection demonstrates it is the ultimate power. Life is distinct from death. It's different from death. And like it's, this is revealed in the writings of the New Testament. John, for instance, writes, 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? It's different. It's different. So my son says when he sees an athlete just working out at just a whole nother level, or somebody, some you know, football player, who's, he'll just say, hey, Dad, that, he's just different. Right? He's different. It's another, it's a whole nother superior power that we're talking about. Death and all of its lesser furies, like depression and sorrow and sadness and abuse and fear, all of death's minions are one way. Life is the other way. And the Didache says there are two ways one of life and one of death. And there's a great difference between the two. And on Easter Sunday morning, the superior power of life is just put on full display. This is what everybody's like, whoa, he rose from the dead. Death has been conquered. Life is now the most, clearly the most powerful thing. The power of death can go so far, but it can't go any farther. So in the resurrection, Jesus conquers death so that we can all be free. We're not talking about freeing slaves from Egypt anymore. We're talking about freeing all people from sin and all of its effects, from everything that categorizes in the way of death. We're all, we have all been made free from all of that. This is why this matters so much. Friends, my deep hope this morning is that we can catch a glimpse of the reality, A, that there is a distinction. We probably need to do a weekend seminar on that. There is a distinction. According to God, there is a distinction. That word shows up over and over through Exodus and throughout the Bible. And then secondly, that we, my hope is that we will embrace that distinction. And that we will embrace that distinction as a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. That we will come out of Egypt. That we will come all the way out of Egypt. And we will hear the testimony of the early church, which is becoming aware of this distinction. People like the Apostle Paul who say, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. Just have nothing to do with that stuff. Don't flirt with it. Don't see how close you can get to it. Don't ask how far is too far, right? How close can I come? Can I compromise on this? No, have nothing to do with it. Because why, Paul? Why? Because that's not the way to freedom. There's no freedom over there. This is the way to freedom. My hope is that we will refuse counterfeit liberators, including our own prideful thoughts that try to convince us that we know better than God. We can become a counterfeit liberator if we're thinking like that, that finding our own way is the way to freedom. This is all over social media right now. I just got to find my own way. That is a, that's that's going to disappoint. It won't deliver. We need to free ourselves from that. That we can be free from like, well, I'm going to have one foot in and one foot out. I'm going to like straddle the fence. No, there's a big difference between the two ways. And that instead we'll recognize that God declares the way of life and that we will embrace that as a good and freeing thing. Friends, may God, may you believe that God in his love, he created you and he set you apart for a purpose. Because he wants you to be free. And even though we have sinned against God and the wages of sin is death, may you believe that Jesus defeated death and all that came with it in order to set you free to live. Amen.